0: Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner
2: with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com
3: slash weight loss.
2: So welcome, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, I know we had a week off, so I'm hoping everyone is refreshed and ready to go. We've got, in my opinion, one of the mo- more interesting classes today. We're going to talk and wrap up, um, you know, our last time we started talking about some investments and investments accounts. We're going to wrap that up today. And then we're going to go into our second module, which is learning to live without AKA talking about things like budgeting wants versus needs and how to really think about your spending and, and creating a plan for yourself. So I'm going to kick things off last time. If you guys remember uh, two weeks ago, just refreshing, you know, everyone, we were talking about investment accounts, different types of investment accounts, and different types of investments, right? And I just want to bring back the idea of diversification again, the, two, the important concept, right? We were talking about diversification, meaning basically not putting all your eggs in one basket and the importance of that and, and spreading everything that you do, whether it's investing, whether it's anything that you do um, that carries any sort of risk across different areas. So, you know, not a single thing can, can take you down. And so when it comes to investing more specifically, which is a question we get a lot on clean, uh, what we did here was we we wanted to demystify all the questions because some people are like, oh, should I invest in stock? Should I invest in bond? Should I, Sean liked real estate, right? There's all these different options. And how should we think about it? Well, as I said last time, we can't tell you exactly what to buy, it, but we can tell you generally, you know, the, the sort of prescribed advice, is again one to spread your investments out everywhere, right? You should not put everything into one category, and two, be mindful of sort of what your risk tolerance is. So what I mean by risk tolerance is, you know, some people say, oh, I'm scared of putting my money at risk when I put everything in cash. Well, my my opinion to that is you would be missing out since if you put all your money in cash over the last you know 10, 20 years, you could have doubled that, more, more than doubled that, right? And, like, and likewise, if you put all your money into stocks, if you put all your money into startups, some of them might blow up and you might end up with nothing, right? So the important thing again is to make sure you have the spectrum of these things. So what I'm going to do is run quickly down through from the least risky to the most risky uh, in terms of different types of what we call asset classes. And then we have a special little thing down here which Sean wants to talk about, uh, which is called Ponzi schemes, which we'll cover right after. So... Starting with cash, as I said, cash, cash is cash, right? People say cash is king all the time. We had this discussion when we asked way back, remember cash versus credit, right? Everyone seems to think cash is great. And it is, it is. You earn some interest on it if you stick in the bank. But honestly, it really doesn't do anything. And I think what we want to teach here, and and maybe Sean would, would agree, is that you want to leverage your money, right? And so even if you have cash, even if you have credit, you want to deploy that. You don't want that just to be sitting in the bank. You want to deploy that places that will hopefully grow and give you a return and so you know moving up from there is what we call money market accounts or cds or certificate of deposits these are very similar to cash very safe you know things that your bank will offer you that might yield like i don't know give you like one or two percent interest on a year um if you're lucky and these are meant to just you know do a little bit better than cash pretty much very much secure but Honestly, um, I would say they're, they're, they're not too different from just having money in cash. Then the next thing going up is, is what we call, the next two categories is what I call fixed income or bonds. And so um, does anyone, does anyone know what a bond actually means or fixed income? And the hint is it's in the name, fixed income. Anyone I'm not holding against you if you don't know, because a lot of people don't. So, so what, why it's called fixed income is because remember when we talked about installment loans, last time we talked about mortgages and how they're called installment loans because you're paying a fixed amount every period, right? A mortgage isn't actually an example of kind of like a bond. it's is an example of fixed income because if you if you are the if you in, like a banker is the one lending you money right in the example that we used before, in this case you become the lender right, you're giving someone money you're loaning someone money in effect, and they're giving you a fixed return every year for, I don't know some years right. So I could for example I could say I'm gonna loan Sean um, ten thousand dollars and I'm gonna charge him five percent a year uh, over for for ten years. Right. And at the end of the 10 years, he has to give me back the $10,000 plus whatever interest that I've collected on on the way. Right. So that is literally what fixed income is. It's just like you are just taking the other position. Because I think a lot of us think about mortgages and all that stuff as like debt. And we don't equate that with being an investment. Right. Because the bank on the other side, the bank, or when the bank, as Sean mentioned last time, when the bank sells your mortgage to investors, they're the ones who are buying these things. So they are effectively buying bonds and fixed income. Does that, does that make sense? See what we got. I got, Got
3: got. would that be
2: 5% of the original amount? So yeah, so that's the, the 5% I use an example is called an interest rate or a coupon. Right. Um, It's the same thing. So when you, when you buy any sort of bond, they'll tell you this is the coupon or the interest rate of the bond, which means every year you will get in this case 5% or however many percent of yes, the original loan. So if I loan Sean hundred bucks, he owes me five bucks every year, right? It's not compounded because he's paying me five bucks every year, right? And um, the, the difference is, this is a little complex and I won't go too much into it, is if you're buying a bond actually on a market, sometimes prices of the bonds will change. So your interest that you're earning might be different than 5%, but for the most part, you know, for with the government bond, right? The most common things you'll see if you go read like the Wall Street Journal, if you read the news, they'll say things like the treasury bond or the treasury bill, right? That's just the bond that the government issues. The government wants some money to do whatever it wants to do. You buy into it, you give the government some money and they'll give you something back, right? So it might be 2%, it might be 3%. So a government bond is... Usually less risky because in this case the US government is Mm. guaranteeing the return, right? And so I don't know what you guys think about the US government, but in my opinion, it's pretty safe. So that's why we put this down on the on the less risky side of things, right? And then slightly more risky than that is what we call non-government. So companies can also issue bonds. If Sean wants to have a mortgage, Sean can also basically issue a bond in the form of a mortgage, right? And theoretically, I could buy it, right? So Who's more risky, the government or Sean? Not to say Sean's a risky guy, but probably more risky. (laughs) Does that that make sense then? Yes. Sweet. All right, so moving forward, a lot of people ask about mutual funds and ETFs. And let me explain that I see these two, I put these together because the, the principle of what they do is basically the same thing, is they're trying to offer you Basically, a problem that a lot of people have is when they say, oh, I want to buy stocks, right? I don't have enough money to buy 20 different stocks because I want to diversify, but I don't have the cash to go and the time and effort to pick out 20, 30 different things to buy. And so what a mutual fund or an ETF does is it does that for you because someone, it could be a manager, it could be whatever, someone takes, uh, takes your money and a bunch of other people's money, puts them together, and then uses that money, the collective a pool of money and buys a basket of different things, right? They could be stocks, they could be bonds, they could be other investments. It doesn't really matter. And so um, the power of that is they're doing it for you without you having to manage it, right? You don't have to bother with buying and selling and, you know, managing 20 different things. You just buy into a mutual fund or you just buy into an ETF. And so um, I don't know if Jeff or Sean has anything to, to add, but, I will say these are one of my favorite things to do because they sit right in the middle. Right. And you can sort of tweak them in terms of risk and you can tweak them based on how risky you want it to be. Right. If you want to be a little bit more risky, for example, I invest in a technology ETF, right. Or a technology mutual fund. If you want to be a little bit safer, you can say I can invest in a fixed income mutual fund. So you get a basket of 20 different bonds. So and I'm,
4: I'm going to echo what Larry's saying. I'm a fan of ETFs and mutual funds myself because Um, you're letting the experts do the work for you and you're just looking at historically how well they've performed. And, 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 and by that, you can make a decision, Hey, there's something I want to get involved in, you know, cherry picking stocks, as much as you see it promoted through Robin hood and, you know, all the great movies around it, it's a very difficult thing to consistently show returns. So it's better that you let the people that are actually actively involved and looking at the market all day, every day, kind of build the portfolio for you so you can get, you know, uh, decent returns. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to let you continue, Larry. I just wanted to add it in that two cents. Be-
1: Before you continue, Larry, I want to just chime in real quick. Um, as you said, Sean, I also am a fan of ETFs. I was a fan of mutual funds for a long time. I still I still like mutual funds, but um, what I like about ETFs and many, many of you may not be aware that you can... You can buy an ETF that mimics the market, so you don't have to have any guesswork. You look at the stock market, it says the Dow went up or the S&P went up, and whatever that did, that's what you did. So you're mimicking what the market is doing. Also, when you go in, you go in at that very time, and when you come out, you come out at that very time. Unlike mutual funds, you may have to wait till the end of the day's market close to find out what your price is on your mutual fund if you come out of it. But they both have their own place. And um, you know, each one could be a, a good fit for many of you who are looking to invest.
2: And in, in all fairness, in all fairness, ETFs are definitely over the last couple of years a lot more popular than mutual funds. And the number one reason is because they are cheap. So both ETFs and mutual funds will someone needs to make money, right, for managing this stuff. So they will charge you some sort of expense. Very small because they're putting so everyone's money together. So usually that expense is less than 1% a year. Um, and so generally you're gonna make more money than the expense, right? But ETFs are very cheap because they are, um, like they're defined as, as Jeff said, you know, it, it follows the stock market, right? There's no, you don't have to move things in and out. Whereas a mutual fund has an actual professional like a financial professional behind it who is coming up with ideas. Right. So that's why it's a little bit more expensive because you have to pay them for the time and effort. Um, I have a, there. I see a question about identifying policy schemes. We'll get to that in a second. Let me finish the uh, the rest of the things uh, first. So
3: that's one quick thing. Like how sure. do you go, uh, like how would somebody buy an ETF?
2: Yeah. So how, that ETF- how much
3: money do you have to have to do it? I guess
2: the great thing about ETFs is you can do it with like you can do buy it with a dollar. So an ETF is bought and sold like a stock. So anywhere you're able to buy stocks, Robinhood, a brokerage like Charles Schwab, Fidel, uh, TD Ameritrade, any of those things that you guys might use, any of your banks that offer that service, you can type in the ticker for the ETF and you'll be able to buy and sell just like a stock as Jeff said, right instantly, in and out. So so moving along, I'm not gonna to spend too much time on all these individually. I know Sean's a big proponent of real estate. Real estate, again, has a possibility for big returns, um, generally, you know, are positive, but it's a little bit more risky and also involves, you know, the element of if you're buying actual, like a building, you have to go manage it, right? Uh, but there are other ways to get around real estate. There are ETFs, for example, that invest in real estate There are mutual funds that invest in real estate. Um, but it is definitely a major asset class that people want to at least put a chunk of their money in. And then the reason, and that's funny, like we spent all this time and I still haven't talked about stocks, which is the number one thing that people ask about all the time. Stocks are actually really risky on the, on the, on the spectrum, right? Like if you, if you see what happens with tech stocks, right? I think recently everyone's seen, it's just gone up and up and up, but this wasn't always the case, right? If you think back to 1999, right? the dot com, right. Stocks were up and up and up and up. And then, They lost, I don't know, like a 50% or more of their value in in like a couple months. So as Sean said earlier, when it comes to picking your own stocks, I think the best advice that we can give is, you know, if you want to do it, you can allocate a little bit of money to it. Um, And if you really have faith towards one company, do it. But, you know, I, I really can't really condone putting a significant amount of your net worth into you know an individual company or one or two stocks just because you know that company could run into things and you, you never know, so again it comes down to diversification. And the fun the fun fact about this um, is when Sean said it's very hard for people to generate a track record of returns. Going back to nine, like the nineteen twenties, um, they looked at like a couple thousand. Uh, investment managers and, and who invested in stocks and how their returns were. And this is the crazy thing. 60% of them could not beat the return of the market or the S and P 500. And you think, isn't that crazy? Because if, if everyone just did on average, you know, then that would be 50% of them should beat the market and 50% of them should not beat the market. So why do most of them not beat the market? Um, and the lesson from that is it's, it's hard. and generally speaking, the more that you trade, the worse people generally do off. Uh, So again, just another lesson for, for people who want to, you know, buy and sell stocks. So basically do so at your own risk. And that includes things like options. That includes things like, um, you know, any, any other like options or futures or forwards or any of those funky products that people might want to tell you will, will help. And the last thing I'll go really quickly is what we call alternatives. Alternatives is just a quick bucket that stands for everything else that's not conventional. So everything that's not like stocks or bonds related um, or cash. And so you'll hear people talk about hedge funds in the news all the time, private equity. Typically, these are harder for individuals to access. You need you know a certain amount of money before you're able to get in there. And when, by a certain amount of money, I mean like you either, I think the requirement is you either need to make over 200,000 a year or have more than a million in assets or something, what you call a qualified investor. And it's not because they want to prevent people from being rich is a, is a common mis, misperception. It's because these are very risky things. And basically their proxy for people um, being educated about the financial markets is if you make money and, or have a net worth, which, you know, that's an entire bucket of worms that I do not want to debate. So I'll turn it over to Sean really quickly to talk about Ponzi schemes. but before that, does anyone else have any questions? Okay, Sean, all yours. Hello everyone.
4: first of all, welcome back everyone. Um, it's nice to be back myself. Um, I know Larry was getting into specifics about investments, accounts, and asset classes, and I just want to kind of before I get into Ponzi schemes, give a little bit of my interpretation on everything for you guys to have an understanding. Um, investment in, you know, in, in my simple terms is like, you know, you're, you're hoping for a rate of return, a positive rate of return. And when I look at rate of return, I look at my rate of return in it's totality, not just saying, okay, how well is my store doing? How well are my stocks doing? How well are, is my 401k doing? I'm looking for an overall rate of return. And where I don't see that happening is where I kind of make the adjustments, and when you're investing, the best thing to invest in, I'm going to reaffirm, and we said at the beginning, and this is the part of the whole financial literacy, is the best thing to invest in is in yourself. Investing in your skill set, investing in what you do different than everybody else, and trying to leverage that into getting returns. But these places that we just, that we went through right now, to me, are great places in which to kind of put your money have your money to continue to work for you while you continue to invest in yourself and get a return, if that makes sense. Because when we teach financial literacy and a wealth mindset, it's not like we said a hundred times, this program is not about trying to teach you how to hit the jackpot. It's trying to teach you st- slow, steady growth and wealth building skills so that you can pass it on to the next generation and then you can have that life that you want to live. So I'm getting back to what Larry said about stocks and so forth. And what we hear a lot on TV, what everybody's doing, we don't believe in, you know, hitting the jackpot. We believe in slow, continuous growth and growing your worth going. And I know it sounds boring, but it really pays off down the road. It really sets a good foundation and it really allows you to live this lifestyle that you've chosen to live. If you set the foundation and you look at investment as in its totality and you say, I'm not going to be fooled by somebody coming at me, telling me that. You know, if I give them $10,000, I can make that into $40,000. Or if I put all my money over here, I can double it. That's the point of this program is for you to understand that those things are very impractical. And it's not a really reality of building wealth. And when you hear of the Warren Buffett and all the other great investors, they've done their homework. They've set the foundation. And they're not investing everything that they have. They're only putting in limited amounts of funds. Probably on a percentage-wise, much less than even Larry, myself, and, 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 and Mr. 850. But you just – it seems like big numbers, but they're very calculated in how, what they do as well because, like Larry said earlier, you don't want one thing to take you out. And as simple as it sounds, I've had so many people allow one bad investment to put them in a position that they can never recover. And I've had many bad investments. And luckily, I didn't put all my eggs in one basket, so I was able to recover on other things. And sometimes things that I take losses at, I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm gaining over in another area. So like investment accounts, where we talk about individual retirement accounts, 401k accounts, brokerage accounts, and 529k plans. IRAs and 401ks are great ways in which to invest and create that slow, steady growth. One of my biggest regrets is that I didn't start even contributing Right when I got out of college, when I was 24, I should have started back then, but I didn't. And I didn't max it out because I wasn't told the importance of maxing out my 401k, especially if you're working for a company. If you're working for a company right now and you don't have a 401k plan, then you got you to negotiate. You got to kind of maneuver yourself to get to a position where you are working for a company where they have a matching 401k plan, because that's like free money. You know, it's free money. If you put in $10, they'll match $2. Zero risk, positive return once again. And then, so when people ask me, how should I invest within my 401k? Their 401k is just a governing tax-sheltered plan, tax-deferred, sorry, plan. And what I say is like, if they're matching and already giving you like a 20, 30% turn, return, then you don't need to take a lot of risk because you're getting, you're beating, outperforming the market. So just be very conservative. Get back to mutual funds, uh, ETF stuffs. where they're going to give you, you know, Decent returns, but you're not going to be exposed. Right. So I would I would recommend everybody, you know, even if you're getting a job that pays, you know, you're getting the hourly wage, a salary that you've been looking for all your life, but they have no 401k plan. I would recommend that you take the experience, don't get me wrong, get take the experience from that job, but look to position yourself into a company that does offer that. Um, and then we get into asset classes and, and risk. This is something you guys should take a picture of because it shows like, and generally speaking, the less risky to the riskiest. And we're not telling you not to do the riskiest because the riskiest usually will bear the highest returns, but be calculated, offset it. Cause as much as I'm into real estate, yeah, I do have CDs. I do have mutual funds. You know, even now when I'm looking, I'm looking, I've been looking aggressively for a property in New York for the last year. And I found things that are not so good, good at, you know, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity because I don't want to put myself in a position that I'm going to buy a piece of property that's not going to do what I need it to do. So I'm very calculated and still being very aware of the risk and exposure involved with purchasing real estate, even though, like Larry said, it's my favorite thing to do. You know, I'm not a fan of you know, cherry picking stocks as, as everybody's doing now with the Robin Hoods out there, but I do, um, I'm thinking about maybe opening a small little account and doing it, but not a lot, not a lot of exposure. I get back to mutual funds and that steady growth because at the end of the day, like I said at the beginning, I believe in investing in yourself. Okay, so now this leads to Ponzi schemes, right? Most financial literacy classes don't talk about it. I don't know why, because we all get are probably going to be asked and exposed to it in some fashion or, or another along in our life. And let me just tell you the first rule about a Ponzi scheme. They never tell you it's a Ponzi scheme. It's never announced. It's a Ponzi scheme. And the time you figure out it's a Ponzi scheme, your money is already being taken from you. Okay. And the most times people are going to approach you about getting involved in a quote-unquote this great investment you got to get involved in. I'm doing it. It's working for me. I'm getting great returns. Is going to be a friend or family member. And let me just and let me just say this: that friend or family member is not trying to scheme you in most cases. They've been taken in. They've they're drinking the Kool-Aid. They think it's the greatest thing, and they want to share this information with you. And that's how Ponzi scheme works. They hook and bait people, especially people that you love, people that you care about. And by that person coming to you, you trusting that person, you feel it's something legitimate. But I can tell you this golden rules. If somebody's coming to you about an investment scheme where it's like, put in $10, and then somebody else puts in some money, and then we're going to get a return because this is just going to outperform the market. There's just simple questions you need to ask. What are they selling? What service are they providing? If you put in $10 and you leave it there for 100 years, and it'll still be $10. If you circulate the $10 to 20 different people, 30 different people, it's still going to be the $10. Unless this investment is not providing a service or product, that's a red flag, then it's a Ponzi scheme. If they're not banking traditional banks, if they're saying, well, you got to give your money here or you can't put it in there, we don't trust the banks. We don't trust the system. If they're trying to put you against the system, against the banks, against this, they're trying to get our money. They make more money out with our money. than they they take our money and make all this kind of money and they give you these theories behind why they can't go traditional routes. It's another red flag to a Ponzi scheme. And how Ponzi scheme works, some people tell you, well, this is not one because my friend has gotten paid. That's how they work. The people that go in early enough will probably get paid. And the ones that come in at the end, when it's about to bottom up is the one are the people that are going to lose their money. And with Pond scheme, you don't know where you fit in that pyramid. If you, I mean, even, I don't know, your conscience alone should, should, could, should deter you from knowing that, okay, you may get a return, but somebody else is going to get screwed because, you, because of your return. But you don't know where you're coming at the beginning, at the end, at the middle and that's when the people at the bottom will be the ones taking advantage of. So if they're not selling a product or service, no matter how much they fluff it, they talk you through sometimes you gotta let people speak, but stick to your principle. Okay, what is a product or service that you're offering? And if they say they're offering this product or this service, okay, who are, your, who are their clients, who are their customers? Do your homework, Google is your friend, research these clients, these customers, and see if they really provided a product or service and if it's really if they're really generating income. And then ask yourself, how long has it been in existence? And I've been investing for well over 20 years, and I have never, and if anybody else can tell me where people have approached about how much money they're going to make, how rich they're going to be, I have yet to meet anybody that's become rich off these quick get rich initiatives. I won't call them schemes, but initiatives. I have never seen it, and I've been approached by so many different people with so many different ideas, and I and then I always give myself the golden rule. Okay, I'll say, let's just see what Come, let's talk again in six, seven months and see where things are at. And most time, time will tell, will expose and show that uh, it's fallen apart. We broke apart. It's not really happening anymore. Things fell apart. There's always going to be some story. So I would tell you, as, you know, Larry and, and both Mr. A50 and I would say, you know, it's be patient, be wise and invest in yourself. Um, and that's my summary. hope I didn't go too long, but does anybody have any questions that we're now going to Close out credit, close out investment, and get into wants versus needs. Does um, anybody have any questions?
2: I'll I'll answer something in the chat really quickly, which I think is important to tell everyone. So um, we got a question, Mike asked, where do you go to invest? Nigel gave a pretty good answer, uh, but I just want to expound on it. So yeah, right access, where do you want to go to invest? So going back to this, it depends, right? It depends on what you want to do. Most typically, if you want to go buy stocks, as I said, or ETFs, or mutual funds or any of that stuff, you can go to a brokerage, right? So if you talk to your bank, they usually have that service. Or there's a lot of these online platforms that are becoming really popular, which thank you, Nigel, for throwing on there, like Robinhood, uh, Stash. Well, Stash, you can't trade on, but Robinhood, Webull, um, and pretty much any of the brokerages now are also uh, free to trade. So they don't charge you anything for making trades. Stash, maybe some of you have heard of Stash, Wealthfront, betterment acorns these are all examples of uh what we call robo advisors and they called robo advisors because there's it's literally a robot that is helping you allocate your money and so it's extremely cheap um and you can set a amount every month so what i do is i use wealthfront for example and every month i go okay i'm putting a thousand dollars into wealthfront and they will ask you some questions about how risky you want your investments to be and based on that, that $1,000 will get split up and put into different buckets, right? And so they handle everything for you, right? You don't have to deal with it. All you have to do is decide how much money to put in and when you want to take it out and which account you want to put it in, right? You can you can do you can do a retirement account for yourself. You can put it in a 529 plan, which is what I have. Um, or, you know, you can just invest in your own. So hope that answers the question. But Sean, I'll kick it back to you for uh, for the next one.
4: Okay, so is there any more credit questions? Anybody have any more questions they want to ask? We're going to move on to L of the program, which is learning to live without. Um, Wants versus needs. So one thing, the greatest thing about it, one of the greatest things about America is that it knows how to create a need. And and it knows how to create a need, meaning that... um, what does american create needs for them like we need not only do we need an iphone we need the earbuds to go with it not only do we need that we need a screen protector we need a case now that buying a phone is like you have to buy many different things that go around your phone now to add value to your phone because that's what we do in america we say not only do you need x you need y you need z you need to have that and what that this is why it's America is the greatest country in the world because we always know how to create a demand for things. We always know how to create a demand and create a service. And this is what America is. But it puts us in a situation as consumers now that we're being, you know, they say the average day you're solicited with hundreds of different advertisements throughout the day that you don't even realize. That there's always so many different things coming in our direction that it's hard to resist and it's hard to break up, you know, what we really need versus what we want. Imagine if you just lived, on an island where you had limited access to anything. and It was just a simple island. What your needs and wants would be totally different. But because we live in such a consumer-driven economy, we are just, you know, always being positioned. Do we need this? Do we want this? Let me get this. Let me impulse buy this, impulse buy that. And, you know, we could teach you everything you need to know about financial literacy, about investing and those sort of things. But if you don't know how to manage the bottom line, if you don't know how to address your wants versus needs, if you don't know how to make sacrifices, then achieving wealth is very difficult, if not impossible. And the riches of the rich have had to make the sacrifice.
2: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com
0: slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move.
4: Continuously making sacrifices to uh, to try to achieve the lifestyle that I, w- I want to live. Um, so let's get let's talk about these needs. We have a few needs on there on there we listed already. Can anybody explain to me when we go through the list: food, clothing, transportation, medical care? How those are needs? I'll call out some names if nobody wants to say anything. But we need to start participating, everyone. So let me start with. Amira, how are those things needs?
5: Um, they're needs because um, they're things really you in your everyday life.
4: Right. Anything
3: else you consider that are that's a needs that you need in every, your everyday life? Alexis. Alexis has and
4: a hand up. up. Yeah. Okay, Alexis, go ahead. Oh their needs because they're necessities either you have them or you just die or <laughs> nice, you go nice, to death nice right so can those needs become wants? so like the need for food shelter clothing transportation medical um, care can they become course. wants? of course um you might have a basic shelter uh four walls and a roof and a door Mm-hmm. and you might want a big mansion or a or a nice penthouse it same goes with the clothes you might have the the necessities you know pants a shirt a jacket but you might want the the new amiri jeans some louis vuitton shoes stuff like that i agree and this is the great area that people have to understand because i'll everybody can if we we could debate all day when i say oh you know Clothing should just be a need, not a want. Well, why can't it be a want? Because you know I want to have this and I want to have that, and, or it's not really a want because I want to wear these Gucci shoes. Doesn't mean that it's it's not. I need it, you know. And I've had the debates. Gary can tell you, we, and Jeff can tell you, so we've had debates about needs versus wants because people get very attached to their personal wants. And uh, you know, even when we talk about clothing, but as I get older, and you know, I, when I was younger, I, yeah, I'd want. You know, back in my day, Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, it blasts all over my chest. But as I get older and smart, I'm like, you know, I'm not marketing for these individuals. Can you imagine? Okay, who who just had their hand up? Alexis, was it? Uh, Alexis,
5: mm-hmm.
4: you there with me, Alexis? Uh, yeah. Hello. Can you imagine, Alexis? What's your last name? Is Laveras? Yeah. Can you imagine, Alexis? If Everybody wore shirts that said Alexis Laveras on them. wherever you that walk, is, see people wearing your shirt. That'd be huh? kind of crazy, man. And paying you hundreds of dollars to wear a all shirt right. with it, your name it, on it. When do you think that you have to pay crazy. them to wear your name? But people are paying. When you think of Ralph Lauren, when you think of you know Tommy Hilfiger, what other brands are out there that I could think of? Um, Versace. I can't name the lot. Chanel. These are all. They've done such a great job marketing that they've been able to brand their name and not only make people wear them across their chest, which is promoting for them, which will encourage the next person. that sees you. I know, Alexis, I've never seen you personally, but I know you're probably a cool looking brother knowing that, hey, if I wear Alexis Lovera's shirt, it's going to encourage other people to wear this shirt. And you can just sit back, Alexis, and let the system work where everybody's going to be just wearing your name across their chest because it looks cool and paying you. I think it's just a crazy concept, don't you? I think it's a very crazy concept.
5: So, I, and, and, so as I get older,
4: I, I just just cannot see the point of wearing somebody else's name and marketing for them and giving them more money while I wear their name and they're giving me nothing in return. That's why you see, like, when you go to a lot of, like, videos of and, and even movies, they will blur out certain brands because they've probably reached out to those brands and say, hey, we're going to put you in our... We're going to put this Apple computer in this movie. Do you want to sponsor us and give us the money for putting for its product placement for putting it in this movie or putting it in this video? Or we're going to, we're going to drink this wine in this move in this movie. Are you going to, and if they say no, then they blur out the brand. They blur it out because if you're not going to pay us to wear this, or promote this, and I'm not putting it out there for you. And I think we as consumers have to have the same mindset, like to, to spend thousands of dollars to, put somebody's name across your chest or walk with a bag with somebody's name on it and you're not getting compensated for it i don't know and i always believe you know fashion is confidence um so even now let's get to the other things like you said shelter and food i hey i'm a person that loves restaurants you know and are restaurants a need from your or want you know one could argue in new York. Well, it's a want because it's a need because in New York, we don't have time to cook and our kitchens are small and, you know, the restaurants are not that expensive and so forth and so forth. You can make all the arguments why restaurants can be a need versus a want. But I look at restaurants as like, you know, when I'm, you know, if I want to, you know, reward myself, I cooked all week, I'm going to reward myself by eating out. Nothing's wrong with that but it's doing it responsibly. You know, even when I do go out, I'm not having eight and 10 drinks during a dinner or ordering all these. I was at, when I, I just came out from Miami and I was sitting beside a couple and they just kept sending drinks, sending food, sending drinks, sending food. And I'm like, wow, I don't even want to see what their bill is going to be like. But it's just, to me, being very responsible and knowing that you can enjoy the things of life. Because once again, this is life. And I think we all, I'm not, this program is not telling anybody, oh, never try to acquire a want that's ridiculous, but it's about being responsible and rewarding yourself with these wants versus just everyday purchase, not thinking them through, not Mm -hmm. understanding like where you need to fit because in order to create wealth, it's a Dell foundation. You need to set a discipline and you need to understand the difference between your
3: needs and wants. Does anybody have any questions? Okay. Can anybody tell me? Oh, this is a good question. What are your day-to-day versus long-term needs?
4: That's a good question. That's a good question. Savings. What, we'll go a little further.
0: Uh, what you say? Long-term needs?
4: Yeah, what are your long-term needs?
0: Income. I guess. Uh, yeah, I think income.
2: What do you what What would you use your income on?
5: Oh, uh, in the long term,
2: that that is a need that is important to you.
0: A house, well, a sure. house is a sure, sure, sure. Yeah,
2: good. Some people in the chat said, "Uh, like sleep, health." I would say that maybe um, health is a long
4: term need. It's a long term need and it's continuous. Like, you know, and I'm so glad that somebody brought up health because we, especially as young people, you tend to ignore the importance of that and you don't realize how important it is until you get older. You know, the old saying is, you know, um, precaution is better than cure. If you understand your basic needs as far as, as nutrition is concerned, and I know you think, what does nutrition have to do with wealth and finance? It has everything to do with that, they're synonymous taking care of yourself, eating right. I'm not telling you, I, saw Linda, have the, the bag of chips every now and then. You know, I'll drink, you know, a, a soda every now and then. But I do things responsibly. You got to take, especially when you, know, you got to take care of yourself. And it really pays off in the, down the road when you do. I mean, I don't know. You've never met Mr. 850. But he's a solid man that's in great shape and is living his best life in retirement because he did the things that he did, he did to take care of his health. You can have all the money in the world. If you don't have health, it means zero, nothing, nada. So I commit. I, I suggest you guys that are listening. Not only do you focus on wealth, school, you focus on your body. You really have to love yourself. It's very important. And then all these other things will, will play into at such an easier. It'll be such an easier thing to do, and it'll be such easy for you to make better decisions of where you should invest, how you should live, how you should see if you're taking care of your inner self. I know it sounds cliche, but it's it's really true.
2: And Sean, I'll I'll add something I, I know not to belabor the point and we can move on after this, but I'll add something on health. So I know we don't really have time to talk about insurance or anything like that, but right, like one of the biggest expenses for everyone is is obviously health insurance, right? Um, it's not rocket science, I hope, and it's not a surprise to all of you that healthcare is expensive in the, in the US. So as smart consumers, we should all try our best directly and indirectly to limit, you know, what we might be spending on healthcare, whether that's, you know, being on health insurance, whether that's seeing your doctor once a year for a checkup, whether that's as someone saying like eating healthy or working out, right? Like there are direct ways to do it and there are indirect ways to do it that are going to affect you in the long term and like yeah, like if you're younger, you might think, well, I've never gotten sick. I've never broken a bone. I've never gotten this disorder. Like it'll never happen, but Hey, I mean, just look at the statistics, right? It happens. And, and I don't think people who are in the hospital are that different from you and me. So um, I would, I would definitely think of that as something really important.
4: And just to drive the last point home, you know, I'm a quantitative thinker and I break things down. It's just like in numbers to me. And if you look at it, if you do an hour of exercise a day, real exercise, you know, not just I've seen a lot of people go to the gym and just kind of walk around, you know, half hour of cardio, half hour of light weightlifting, not trying to be the biggest person in the gym and five times a week, which may seem like a lot, but it's, it's five hours out of, you know, how many hours there in a week, five, seven times four is 28, seven times, 96 hours, <laughs> do the math that's less than 10% of your time is spending like just taking care of your body. And then if you just couple it that with like, okay, I'm going to eat right five days out of the week and two days a week will be the days where I just enjoy what I like. That little switch will make such a difference in your life to dedicate an hour a day for five, only five days a week and eating right five out of seven days that switch alone Will change your life forever and give you a, the energy the enthusiasm to do the things that you really need to do and not worry about what larry said it's all the expensive health costs down the road that can happen if you're not taking care of yourself
2: all
5: right all right i forgot to say retirement
0: the retirement money that's yep. a long-term need R- retirement is a long-term need yep
4: Okay, and we, we, we gave some questions once again. I think you all should take a picture of this you know, to really understand want versus need. Um, do I want or need it? And so the question you should always ask yourself, is this an emotional purchase or an impulse buy? And what I do when I know it's an impulse buy, and you know, I, I put certain limits like, okay, I don't want you, to, you know, to overthink buying a pack of gum from the corner store unless you're buying you know, like a, a large amount Gum every day from the from the store, but I say I put limits. Like for any like big ticket purchase, I always ask myself, do I need or want it? Um, I look through at different angles of when I should get it. Like, is it a something I should buy after season where it's going to be less expensive versus buying it during peak season? Um, I look at you know what different ways are they if to buy it. If I buy it through it online, I may have to wait a week longer rather than going to the store. About how much money am I saving by doing that? I'm weighing all those different angles out in my head before I make that decision. And if it's an impulse buy, it was something I just want. And I just want, because I want it. Um, I always give myself 24 hours to see how I feel the next day. Even like when new phones come out, like, I do like the latest phones. So I, that's pro- that's definitely a need for me, but I'm never first to market. I'm never the first guy. When the, if the iPhone, a new iPhone comes out, I'll definitely wait a few months before I buy it. And I'll hear what people are saying about it. I'll get myself excited for it. I'll, lift, I'll make sure I'm building up to it. And then usually by the time I'm ready to buy it, there's always a great deal. Like now I know I'm with Verizon. They came up with a deal. They'll take back any phone, crack, damage, whatever. And you can trade it in for the iPhone 12. And a year ago, that same phone was like $1,500 or whatever it is, take it or leave it. Because they're just satisfying that demand. Now they're like, okay, we need to get rid of these 12s. We're just going to try to give them away in a sense. And then I ask, you know, especially when I buy like stuff that's seasonal, that's not going to be lasting for a long time. It's like, just like now my kids want a PS five, is it out there? And I'm still scouring the market. Like now they're, they're selling for double what they're selling retail. And I've convinced my kids, they're patiently waiting. They're watching the market. Like me. when I see it's like when the demand has dropped, then that's when I'll probably look to buy it for them. And then I ask, you know, is it practical? Is this something that could add value to my life? Or is it just something that a quick fix that I'm getting? You know, is it going to help me improve my life or is it a desire? Like, is it, an, if it's something that I'm looking to buy, that's going to generate income and revenue, then, you know, I'm not as much, as much deeply thinking into it as I would if something that's not going to add value to my life. But if something that's going to, you know, like put a return or an investment, I would say, then it's something that, okay, let me just see what the return is going to be versus how much I have to, to put in. Have I already taken care of my monthly obligations? Once again, very important. This is what's, this is a wealthy mindset, the wealthy barber. Is it a need? Did I budget for it? You know, did I put the money aside for it? And if I didn't, where will the money come from to pay for it? Have I paid myself first? Once again, as cliche as that sounds, have I put money away for myself? And what I've done, it was one of the grants that I had when I was young, I didn't do it earlier. You know, every week I just have an automatic debit coming out of my account going into my investments. So set it and forget it. You know, they debit my account every week, and it's not a large sum, you know. And I was advise young people, you don't have to do a large sum, but it's every month. So I know that I am saving every month and not even thinking about it. And then I can okay, I've already I've done my savings and let me see what you know the things that I want or need versus and as you start taking through this and really thinking through things the organic thing that happens, you don't really ask, you don't really need a lot anymore. When you start really evaluating, and not to say that I deprive myself of a lifestyle, because I definitely don't, but you really start to look at what you really need versus what you want, and you realize that, ah, I'm good, I don't need it, I'll last, I'm happy. Um, another thing, have I done my research? Google is your friend. Research, check the reviews. It's so important to read reviews about things that you think that are going to be great, added value to life, and then they wind up being nonsense and you've already invested in it.
1: Hey, Sean, cool. can I add something to this? Absolutely. Uh, as, as a father, as a father who raised five kids, four of them through college, no debt, and I'm now free to do what pretty much I want to do, you want to make sure as you live your life that, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, anyone but me. My desire was to be free. Financially free. And that was more important than having the latest car, having the latest sneakers, having the latest clothes. Most important thing was to say, no, I have no debt. Or if I have debt, my bills are paid by my tenants, which all my bills are paid by my tenants. And even through this pandemic, I've been blessed enough not to get eaten by my mortgage in any way. So one of the things you want to always try to look at is you know, how, how can I adjust my lifestyle and what's my sacrifice level? What am I willing to sacrifice? And at what level am I truly willing to sacrifice at? Here's a story real quick. Young man bought a house, four bedrooms, didn't understand real estate, got downsized from his job, his income got cut. He couldn't afford his mortgage. He looked around, he says, it's just really me here. I'll run out of room. So he ran out one room, now he's able to meet his mortgage. Took a second to think about it, run it out a second room. He ended up renting out all four rooms and he moved into the garage, saved his money, and then bought a two-family house. And now he owns four or five houses because his level of sacrifice was determined and he knew, hey, this is not gonna be forever, this is temporary. All right, John.
4: Exactly. I know this, like I said, a lot of this sounds cliche, but this is, once again, understanding that in order to achieve wealth and success, I have to have certain disciplines and I have to make certain sacrifices. This is, this is how we do it. You know. And then another thing, anytime I'm buying something online, and I think there's even there's an app that you can download. I can't remember the name of the app off the top of my head, where if when you go to the checkout, it'll automatically look for coupons or discounts. You know, gone are the days we need to walk around with a little clipbook or a little thing with all these little coupons. You can just Google "Retail Me Not" is great. You can just Google um, whatever store you're shopping at, coupons, and if there's any coupons, it'll pop out. And even like, you know, when you're standing in the line at places like Staples, they have like uh, competitor price matching, meaning that if you can co- get if you can if you're buying an item from there and you know Amazon or one of the competitors is offering at a cheaper price, you can show them that. While you're at the cash register, they'll call the manager and they'll make a price adjustment for you. It's called competitor matching. And you can always ask. And, you know, and, you know, I I even tell people that, you know, you don't have to feel embarrassed or feel shy by asking for a discount or saying, is there anything you can do better or presenting a coupon? Because this is what the wealthy person does. They're always looking to value. They're always looking to get, you know, a deal, but not being, you know, obnoxious with it, but just being, you know, you know, just willing to, to speak out you know, willing to speak out. Like, for example, when I, I was, like I said, I just got back from Miami, I was staying at the Hilton and I reserved um, a room. And in the room, they didn't give me the room that I wanted. They couldn't. I said, so what does this mean? And they were able to reduce some, take some the daily $20 um, hotel fee that they charge extra. They removed that and they gave me a couple upgrades and it was just me simply asking a question. Um, let's go to the next slide.
2: So I don't know if we have time to do this slide, honestly, right? Because we're we're done at 3.30.
4: Well, we'll start it. This is really um, a budgeting slide. This is really for you to understand um, budgeting. And it's a good way for you to even if you want to create your budget where you have, you know, your total income. Is what, and you know, the, when you have actual and budget, so, but the actual means exactly what it means is what what exactly did you get during that given month? And budgeting is what which, which most people should do. You're forecasting, okay, if we're in, like, for example, we're in April right now, you can kind of put what your budgeting may income to be. So you'd put it in there, you know, $4,000 this person has. And as the actuals come in, is where you write in the actual m- amount that you actually got. Then you write, you know, you budget. And this is planning ahead. What is your actual, what do you predict your foresee your actual expenses to be? And you should always be a couple months ahead of yourself, okay? If we're in April, you should be budgeting through like May, June, July. And what this does too, you realize that outliers that come in that, you know, happen with all of us this is the thing we call life where you didn't budget for this, you didn't plan for this, and this expense came up, right? So you're always, looking between what you actually made or your, what your actual expenses, what your actual income is versus what the budget, what you budgeted for. And then, you know, if you have, if you over budgeted and if you, sorry, if you came in with more than what you budgeted, then you have like a surplus. You, you feel good. I rewarded myself. Hey, I have this extra money that I didn't even know I was going to have. And then, Hey, that can put that towards savings. All right. And this creates the discipline and then you even have lines with, you know, your. you're, Alternative incomes, you have like bonus income, we have bonus, um, internet income, other things that you're doing, side hustles that you can budget for. Say, hey, this month, I want to be aggressive. I want to do X, Y, Z outside of my current job, outside of that, and bring in this extra amount of money, all right? And then we get to the expense line. And to me, people look at the expense line as something depressing. I actually look at it, I call them opportunities. So I'm always looking at my expenses. And I've tried to figure out how I can do better, because if anybody knows simple account, net income is not about, you know, keep bringing in money, money, money. Net income is revenue minus expenses. So if you can minimize your expenses, you'll naturally bring in more revenue. This is what companies do when they're having hard, difficult times and they're not bringing in the kind of money they used to. What they do to show investors profit They will cut their expenses. That may mean laying people off. That may mean cutting back on certain things. I mean, when your boss tells you, oh, you're not allowing anybody to work overtime anymore because they're trying to reduce their expenses so they still meet their same revenue goals. All right. And you can do the same thing with yourself. If you know that, hey, this month is going to be tight and you have a car, maybe we don't do so much driving around. Maybe if we're going away for three months, we get only fire and theft insurance on our car let's see what we're doing with our groceries how well are we spending our groceries what are we buying Are we buying needs versus wants maybe this month is really just get the necessities that we need because we're not we don't have the income that we we don't we're not making as much money this month so we need to cut back so we hit our revenue goals so we hit our net income goals um, pet care you know cell phone like do I need all the bells and whistles on my cell phone there's a ways in which I can reduce some some costs there and it doesn't have to be you know continuous you can be okay this is where i need to make the cutback and this is the thing about a budget what a budget does too is that you're looking ahead a lot of people when they fall into these hard financial times because and unexpectedly because they weren't planning ahead they weren't looking ahead, they weren't looking down the road and this makes you start paying attention to the news what's happening in the news what's going on around things that can affect your income or things that may start costing you more so it's a very important as small as it has small as income or whatever expense you have to continue to write it so you're seeing what's going happening down the road. And uh, I'll let Larry, I'll let you speak a little bit more on that if you want to. I know we're getting short with time.
2: No, I don't don't have too much to talk about. Um, I would say, I mean, some people ask where you get this template. I would say, honestly, you could do a lot of this yourself. Um, Like I think this is done on Microsoft Excel or something like that. But if you Google, you know, a budget template, you should be able to find most of this. A lot of your you know, banking providers who are used to pay the bills will oftentimes have a savings thing because they'll track, right? Whatever your, your checking account, your savings account, they'll check in the, they'll check the, the cash inflows and outflows from the vendors and categorize them. It's if they have to do them anyways to figure out your rewards points. So they'll tell you, oh, this month you spent 30% of your income on shopping or 40% of your income on entertainment. And so you can set targets there and, you know, see how you're doing. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good idea, but we have some questions on the next slide, which we, we don't have time to cover now. But maybe what you do is, can everyone take a picture of this? And I'll go back to the last slide and the, the, these two slides and then sort, sort of think about this and have these questions so we can discuss this right away at the beginning of the next class. Sean, does that sound like a plan?
4: Excellent plan.
2: That's a little bit of homework
1: hey really like I, I, Larry I wanted to just chime in real quick I know time is short as a as I just wanted to add a little tip to everyone everyone doesn't have to do this but this is a little trick that I used i i'm a I'm an advocate of uh not getting a tax return because i I don't want to loan the government my money as the year goes on I want my money now, so I don't loan the government any of my money uh, during the year the way I do it is you go up to your uh, human resource or your payroll, and they, they'll change the, um, the um, I guess it's the, they'll change the, um, it's called the, oh man, I, I, I forgot the name of this thing. Hold on one second. Okay. Your deductions, your deductions. Yeah, you change the W-4 deduction. So that way you get your tax money now that the government's overtaking. You have to understand how much you're supposed to get. And if you pay to the government, if you get a tax return, I mean, you overpaid. So I don't like overpaying. I don't like giving the government money at all. And that's just me. And that saves me money because I could take my money now and use it for investments. They bring me more money. And it's just a way that I've, uh, over the years, I've done this for over 30 years, 40 years. And, um, you know, I normally get a small, I'll get maybe 50 to a $200 return based on my calculations, or I'll pay anywhere to, you know, maybe a couple of hundred to a thousand back. And it's just a piece of advice. And it's optional, right? You don't, you don't, if if it's too complicated to do, you don't, you don't really have to do it. Honestly, you
2: know, what I see, I see tax returns as a, like the counter to that is I see tax returns as a really good way to force you to moderate your spending because you have to spend a little less than you actually should during every period. But then again, during tax season, when people get the returns, a lot of people see it as bonus money, which is not right. You earn that money. It's not a paycheck for you to go spend it. So I think there's, there's two ways, there's two ways to think about that. Absolutely. Um, so were you
3: saying that we, uh, folks should take a picture of George's budget and the questions on the yeah, next slide. so.
2: Rachel, does it make sense for us to for me just to send you the deck so you can send it out to everyone
3: Sure. yep, that's so good, then
2: they can just have the whole deck because I know a lot of these slides are useful for people anyways. That'd be very helpful. Thank yeah. you. Yep. So we might we might just I'll just do that right after.
3: That's fine. Great. And I'll get it out to all the internship coordinators guys and then if you can share it with all of your students. We'll get it out. We'll do a tree type of thing.
4: Okay. Sweet. So before we go I just this, I, the reason I love this class always goes so quick. Um, is there any questions. You know, thumbs up that everybody got a lot out of a lot out of today's class as well. I know it was a transition from credit, but this this today's series is about really having you think about how you're spending and what you're spending and understanding. This is all part of the algorithm in, in wealth building.
2: And and look, there's a zillion things that we didn't talk about that we can definitely talk about. Um, so if you have questions, if you have other questions that might pertain to yourself or anything, you know. Feel free to shoot it through Rachel or anyone and we can try our best to answer it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, we're, we're happy that you guys are, are engaged in the journey.
4: Right. And remember, you know, I think, you know, what you guys understand the premise of this program and I think it's doing, it's doing what it should be doing is planting the seeds, yeah. encouraging you to learn more, encouraging you to get the confidence to, to To know that you can achieve wealth you can live the life you choose to live and financial literacy is something that you should be paying attention to on a daily basis I think it's achieving that so
3: and I can't believe this isn't a regular part of like high school curriculum actually it should just yeah, absolutely it should be right be <laughs> uh-huh. it really should I mean as an older person hearing this now like what a difference it would have made to have heard it younger
4: Right, yeah, it's absolutely true and for me too. Like I learned it all through trial and error. I don't think there was no course. And Larry, and myself, and Dion and Mr. Eiffel, we we put this program together on things that we thought the community needs. You know that we all need and we're not being taught. So it wasn't like we found a manual and just hey, we're just reading a manual that is available. No, this is all stuff that we've. And as every program ends, we always are adjusting. So you know we're always tweaking because the needs are changing all the time. So. There was no resource for us to go to as well to even create this program.
3: So we know One of you guys may be teaching it in the future. Thanks, everybody.
4: Uh, thank you, guys.
3: I hope you all have a great weekend.
0: Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter visit Bankofamerica.com/slash banking for business to learn more what would you like the power to do bank of america na copyright 2024
5: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer